listening to The Take Back Podcast, where women of color creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pillay, an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And I'm Angelica Dianda, a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back systems designed against them. Welcome to the Take Back Podcast. I am one of the co-hosts, Angelica Dienda, and this is a space where women of color creatives can come and share um, their stories with all of you guys. So welcome back. If this is your first time listening to us. We are so excited that you're here. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. We are so glad that we didn't scare you away and that you are here for our second episode. So today I am so excited and honored to interview the founder and creator of this podcast, Jess Play. Now, before I bring her on and start asking her questions. Just want to let you guys know a little bit about her. So Jess is a Seattle-based, Indo-Fijian-American, independent singer, songwriter, and she's my best friend. So welcome, Jess. So glad to have you. Hello. Thank you. So let's dive in. I know some of our listeners got to know a little bit about you in our first episode, But I'm sure a lot of people are dying to hear a little bit about how we both met one another. So Jess, I'm actually really curious to hear from you, your perspective of our first meet cute when we met each other. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. So yes, we met in choir during our freshman year of college, and we both came in as music majors, and we were doing this kind of gospel esque choir, I guess Mm -hmm. you could call it, about like 120, 130 people, something like that. So we used to meet in the chapel, right? And that's where we had our rehearsals. And I remember it was like the second week of school, you know, so I'm just like trying to find my little spot where the altos Mm -hmm. are and went and got on stage and was just kind of standing around and, you know, observing. That's what I tend to do when I'm in big group spaces. And This chick walks up to me and she says, I don't have my music with me. Can I borrow yours? Like, can I stand next to you and share? And I'm thinking to myself, great. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose so. I'm not going to say no. Right. Um, And so there you were. You came up to me, asked me to share music. We ended up doing that and then proceeded to stand next to each other in every single rehearsal from Mm -hmm. then on out for four years. I know. And, um, you know, became best friends through the process. We had tons of other music classes together, some that were very traumatizing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Those music theory classes. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, that's how we met. So my little tagline for you and I is always, like, we started out sharing our music, and then we have been sharing our lives for, like, almost 20 years now, which is crazy (laughs) to me. It is, but so true. I know. We've shared 
a lot of life over the past 16 years. Mm -hmm. But and look at us now. Here we are, like recording this podcast. I mean, what a journey, what a ride. And so and there's nobody better that I would want to be on this journey with. So thank you for joining me. (laughs) Well, with all that, you know, let's kind of, you know, bring in our listeners to that journey along the ride of getting to know you and getting to know how we landed here in this recording studio, recording this episode. So, you know, one of the things about you, Jess, is you as an individual were, you may not know this, you were the first Fijian Indian I had ever met. Actually, Mm -hmm. not only that, but just like the first Indian descendant that I've ever met. And so, you know, when you say the phrase, uh, Indo-Fijian. Mm-hmm. What exactly does that mean? There is so much to unpack with that little phrase, but Indo-Fijian essentially means that I am Indian, fully Indian by blood, but my parents were born and raised in Fiji. So the history lesson for this episode is that the British colonized Fiji at one point and needed individuals to work in the sugarcane plantations. Mm-hmm. So when they came over there, they initially tried to get the indigenous Fijian population to do it. And they were just like, no, they weren't having it. (laughs) This is our country. You're not coming in here and doing that. Right. Um, So they kind of realized like, okay, this is not going to work. If we want to really establish some roots in this country, we're going to have to get other people to come and work. Right. Mm -hmm. So in Fiji, they used the indentured labor system. Okay. And so the British went to India and basically tricked a bunch of Indian people saying, we're going to get you this great job. You're going to have a lot of opportunity. You just have to do it for a few years and then you can go home, Mm -hmm. go back to your family, all of that. And a lot of these folks didn't even really know what they were signing themselves up for because they couldn't really read and there Mm -hmm. were language barriers and all of that. So they targeted mostly, I think, a lot of like the southern parts of India, the southern regions. But there are some people from the north who also went as well. So, you know, these different people from different parts of India ended up in Fiji. There were language barriers there as well Uh because India has so many regional languages. And what essentially happened was all these kind of regional cultures mixed together And became what we call, you know, Fiji Indian Mm -hmm. culture. And then a lot of them ended up staying. And so when the time came when their labor agreements ended and they're like, okay, now we want to go home. Well, they were paid such crap wages that they couldn't go home. Mm -hmm. There, There wasn't that... And so they, a lot of them just ended up staying. And by that point, you know, this is pre-internet. You couldn't just, like, get online and research where your right. family was or your whatever. They didn't even know how to get back. So they just kind of ended up staying in Fiji and multiple generations later. So, you know, by the time we got to, like, my parents' generations, uh-huh. they didn't right. even know India by right. that point. So, you know, none of my family, my immediate family, has ever been to India. We don't really even know exactly what parts of India our ancestors are from and the language that we speak even the the regional kind of influences on the food you know Mm -hmm. we love Indian food but if you taste my mom's Indian food it's going to be quite different than what you get at like an Indian restaurant so it really kind of formed its own hybrid culture yeah right and for years and years and years I never knew how to identify myself Mm. because growing up I was always like Am I Indian? 
I'm Indian, but that's not that's you. not me yeah. completely. Right. It is to a degree, but I don't fit into kind of the boxes that a lot of times people think of when they think of people directly from right. India. And even when I've met people from India, there's all kinds of weird dynamics there because to them it's like, oh, you're one of those people who left, you know. And so and they don't even a lot of times know that history of what right. happened. And so there's like this kind of tension between mainland Indians, right? Mm-hmm. People who actually grew up there and live there and have immigrated here. But anyway, so going back to Indo-Fijians, so um, and what was happening, you know, especially in like the 70s and 80s was the Indo-Fijian population was starting to feel a lot of tension with the indigenous Fijian Mm -hmm. population because they also were kind of like, you all came in. I know you didn't ask to be here, but you're bringing a whole different dynamic and cultural experience to this country. And there's just a lot of tension between those two groups. And so the Indian population basically said, we got to get out of here and Mm -hmm. we can't go back to India. A lot of us, because we don't even know where to go at this point. And our language has changed so much about our culture has kind of changed that we're not sure it even makes sense Mm -hmm. at this point to go back. So what they started to do is they started to go to places like um, Australia, Mm -hmm. Canada and the U.S., Got it. So my dad came here in the late 70s, and then my mom came here in the early 80s and had three children and raised my brothers and me uh-huh. here. So there's always been this this feeling of being a bit of a cultural orphan yeah. for me. And really, even though I'm not like biracial, a lot of times I identify with biracial people or feel like mm-hmm. I have more in common with somebody who's biracial because I understand what it's like to have multiple cultures right. and, you know, traditions sort of brought together. But it really wasn't until maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. that I even heard the term Indo-Fijian. Mm. And I don't even remember who was the first person to sort of tell me that. I think that was just me maybe doing some research or one right. of my siblings doing some research. And then we went, okay. Now that makes sense, right? There's a mm-hmm. word and a term for right. us. We don't have to spend the rest of our lives saying we're Indian, but we're from Fiji or we're, right. we have Fijian, you know, roots, but we're not Fijian. Well, how powerful to have language to just perfectly encapsulate those two cultural backgrounds and identities into one term. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I just felt like I had a little history lesson just hearing the history of the Indo-Fijians and even just the migration history from mainland India to Fiji, then to then scattering to different countries and then how that impacts you. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of to continue on this journey, can you tell us just a little bit more about what it's been like for you to walk in white society, white culture, being an Indo-Fijian woman here in this greater Seattle area? Yeah. Well, so many things. Um, One of the things that has always been fascinating to me is the fact that I have a non-Indian first name, right? And so even that name, like it took me a long time to kind of go, okay, I guess that's my name and I identify with it, you know, because there's a part of me that's always like, that just sounds like a white girl. Mm-hmm, name. Mm-hmm. And you hear that. There's a lot of memes and, you know, things right. out there that's like the Jessicas of the world, you know, and I'm like, but that's not me. That's not how I identify. So there's that. And then, you know, just like I said, there's always been this sense of feeling 
kind of othered and misplaced and never really knowing how to identify with any of the groups that sure. I belong to because not one single group really feels fully like it belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And then for me, growing up in these predominantly white spaces, you know, I did assimilate. And so you right. hear it in my accent, for example. Mm-hmm. So kind of switching gears a little bit. I know one of the reasons why we're here is that you and I are both creatives. We have bonded through our creativity, right? Like case in point in the story that you shared earlier about us meeting in music and inquire. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit more just about your creative journey. Tell us a little bit more about what your creativity looked like when you were younger as a child growing up in an Indo-Fijian family. Yeah. I have always had artistic tendencies, I think, from the time that I was really young. And I'm sure some of that goes back to my parents. So my mom growing up was really into art. I know she's told me stories about growing up and always having art supplies in the house. Mm -hmm. And then my dad has always loved music. And so he bought a keyboard when I was probably like six years old and brought it home. It's funny because he bought that keyboard with the intention of starting a band with his family. None of them played music. They literally just bought a bunch of instruments oh my and word. decided that they were going to be a Bollywood cover band. Oh. <laughs> that was, that was the deal. Man. But anyway, that whole venture didn't really last um, for very long. But we had this keyboard at home and I fell in love with it. Mm. And so I sat down and started just kind of playing these little melodies. And, you know, my parents noticed it and kind of went, oh, there's something happening here. Mm -hmm. We should definitely consider putting her in formal lessons. And they did. And it's, you know, the best investment my parents ever could have made. And then the other person that I don't talk about often when I tell stories about kind of my creative journey growing up, but my nani, my grandmother, I found out that she used to sing on the radio in Fiji for some like Indian radio station. What? And it's like. Wait, so you, so like really the person with the music career in the family was your was nani. nani. <laughs> wow. So anyway, so all that to say creativity was very, very much encouraged, which is interesting because in Indian culture, a lot of times there's such a push for, you know, get the best grades. Right. Do well in math and science. Right. You know, all of that. And there were remnants of that in my childhood growing up. But overall, it's like I think my parents realized music is a thing that she really loves and thankfully gave me the space to do that. Well, you know, you bring up a good point because that I mean, that's been my experience, you know, when I've interacted or even counseled folks from the Indian community Mm -hmm. is that there is this huge push of good grades, be the best student you're going to go and you're going to seek out these prestigious careers you Mm -hmm. often hear. Doctor, scientist, tech, right? All all these different really big, big careers. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that instead, because it sounds like your parents more lean in towards allowing this the support and you just uh, having this creative expression. So tell us a little bit more about that story. Why do you think that is? For a long, long, long part of my life, I was really set on becoming a worship leader and being employed by a church. So Mm. my music wasn't going to be the indie singer-songwriter thing that it is now. It was going to be within a very safe environment, Mm. right? And so things like healthcare, things like 
having a steady paycheck every couple of weeks or every month or whatever. Like those were things that were expected to come along with being a worship director because you're actually employed right. at a church, right? So, you know, when I decided I wanted to do music even, which was like in high school, it was within the sort of structure of this very safe mm -hmm. entity and, you know, also the the sort of spiritual or religious um, beliefs around that, that right. like, you're doing this for God. So you're, you know, God's going to take care of you because you're using your giftings to serve him. Right. And, and there wasn't really this idea that like, oh, maybe it's going to work out. Maybe it's not. You're, you're stepping right. into something that's risky. Right. Well, and I'm assuming that the the openness to that to you being a worship leader or the idea of you being a worship leader was okay because I know I know you mm -hmm. and I know your family you know Christianity is a foundational value right mm -hmm. for your family so of course I can imagine your mom like oh you want to be worship yes yeah please do that right right yeah so I know that there is a story where um, growing up in kindergarten. Your mom got some feedback about you regarding your creativity. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about that story? Yeah, I love that you brought this up because this is one of my favorite stories to tell. But I'm the oldest in my family. So the first child, first teacher that my mom or my parents really had to interact with. And so um, they went to their first parent-teacher conference and were asking, you know, how is Jessica doing and mm -hmm. all of that. And my teacher said, well, she sings all day. And my mom's immediate She's reaction like, was like, oh, God, uh oh, <laughs> like, you know, I want my child, you know, and I was an only child at the time, right. too. So at home, I'm like loud and probably doing a lot of that all, all day long. So my teacher is telling the story to my mom and my mom is kind of panicking, going, uh oh, is she disrupting class? Right. And my teacher said, no, I love it. And she Aww. said, this is how she expresses herself. It's how she learns. And, you know, it's how she processes the world and processes the information that's being given to her. And so that really became, I think, a catalyst for my parents, and right. especially for my mom. And my mom actually went on to become a child care provider. So she's, you know, gotten really, really um, knowledgeable about mm -hmm. child development and right. child psychology and all of that. So even when we talk about that story now, later, you know, much later in life, she always says, like, I get it now because yeah. that shows how great of a teacher you had. Somebody yeah. who understood this is how this child processes the world. So who am I to shut that up? Right. I need to allow her to have right. that space to to do that expression. And you know what? It changed my whole life. I know. And I love that because that teacher probably has no idea the impact and the influence that she had over your life as a five and six year old and how those words that she shared about you, how it's like reverberated to who you are now, which I love. So anyone that's listening, if you're a teacher, you matter. And yeah. um and your opinion matters too. Oh, I just especially love that so to much. immigrant parents, yes. right? So you know we've talked about this before. You and I have like parents, especially from like Asian culture, I think, but a lot of other cultures view teachers as the authority figures, right? So there was a really kind of you know important shift I think that happened for my mom to say, oh, the teacher is saying it's okay. I need to really take this to heart and and understand what she's saying. I I think it's so important and valuable because here we have you here, you know, 30 years later, and you are walking in those giftings that your kindergarten teacher identified in you, yeah. right? Which is so important. So, you know, that's like just affirming, right? She was affirming you. Now, 
I mean, on the flip side, as women of color, often we can have the opposite mm-hmm. happen, right? Where people will either assume things or make overgeneralizations, whether it's overt or covert, just based off of our appearance or our racial background, right? Mm-hmm. Or in other words, right, micro-macro aggressions, right. right? So growing up as a budding creative, did you ever experience any microaggressions or macroaggressions growing up? I love the way you're phrasing this question because you already know the answer I do. to this question. I but... do. And I know that you have a very specific story. Also, how a teacher made some statements and phrasing, maybe not even realizing mm-hmm. the damage right. that had on you. Right. So tell us about that story. Yeah. So this was in fourth grade. So I was nine or 10 years old. And at that stage in my life, I kind of just loved all creative expression. So as much as I loved music and was super into that, probably is sort of my main creative expression. I also really loved dance and I loved drawing and visual art and I loved acting, you know, had an interest in that. And so in fourth grade, my class had just finished reading The Chronicles of Narnia and we decided we were going to put a play on. So I really wanted to be the White Witch. Like of all the characters in that book, I just knew I'm expressive, I'm loud, <laughs> you know, I could do this part and I could have a lot of fun with it. So I went to my teacher and I said, can I be the White Witch? And she said, no. Just straight up, no, that's not going to work. And I'm like, no, please. I really want to be the White Witch. You know, I can do it. I promise I'm going to do a great job. And she said no. And so, you know, we started casting for this fourth grade play, right? This is not a prestigious production or anything like that. Fourth graders putting on this play. And I got the part of the narrator while my friend, who was fair-skinned, blonde hair, blue eyes, got the part of the White Witch. And I don't even remember, like, how the play actually went because I think I was just upset. You know, this little light that I had for acting just kind of got extinguished and they didn't even have a costume for me of course not so I had to work with my mom to find something out of my closet and I think we picked right. some like you know Sunday church dress or whatever for right. me to wear and everybody else got to wear these really fun costumes including the white witch of course and the you know billowy flowing white robes and mm-hmm. everything else and my takeaway from that was I guess I'm not good at acting oh that's the lesson that it taught me. And how sad, because in in one way, it makes me wonder if it if the opposite would have happened, mm-hmm. where would you have been now? Right. And so, you know, addressing your question of microaggressions or macroaggressions, nobody outright came and said, you're not getting this part because of what you look like. Right. But to me, when I see a fair-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed child get the part that I so badly wanted... And knew I could do it justice. Right. My brain went, okay, it's because I don't look like that part. Right? Yeah. Because C.S. Lewis obviously had a very specific description or whatever. But, you know, I told the story to Sam, our editor, and, you know, his, his comment was something to the effect of, 
this is not some prestigious version of this play that's being put on for critics where accuracy matters. These are fourth graders. Exactly. (laughs) Like, who cares if you don't look exactly like the description that's in the book? The other thing is, this is something I don't know if I've ever told you this part of the story. So there's the character of Edmund, right? A girl got that part. Same play. What? They gave the character of Edmund, which is very much a boy, to a girl and were able to do her hair and, you know, everything else to make her look like a boy. And, you know, that was fine. So apparently, you know, gender bending was okay, but race bending was not. Oh, my goodness. So I have a lot of trauma (laughs) from that experience. And what's so crazy to me is now, even as an adult who's doing music and doing performing, you know, I feel very comfortable on a stage behind a microphone and, you know, you can put me up in front of people. That's not a problem for me. You put me in front of a camera and I just clam up. Like, there is still, I think, from that experience, this idea that's been planted into my head that I'm not good at acting. I'm not good in front of camera. That's a skill that is for other people and doesn't belong to me. So, like, doing music videos and things, like, you know, I just released a music video a few months ago. Um, Shine on for anybody who wants to go on YouTube and check that out. Right. (laughs) Um, But I'm not in it. You know, I my know. beautiful friend Stephanie is in it. She's a dancer. She did this incredible dance routine. And I'm so pleased with how that video right. turned out. I think it was the it's right beautiful. artistic direction yes. to go in. But I think in a way it was a cop out for me yeah. because it was me saying, good, I don't have to be in front of a camera. Well, my hope for you, Jess, is that you will not continue to allow that voice of that fourth grade teacher yeah. to keep speaking this negativity over you because I know that you have talent, that you have gifting. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm like here to be such a little therapist, but like, <laughs> like, yeah, that this feels for- like a therapy session. Sorry. <laughs> but that fourth grader is still inside of you. That's yeah. so, so dying just to still want to come out and act. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful that you're going to take back those words that were said and be like, you know what? I can act and I can do that. And because in a way that's going to be honoring that skill set, right? That the little fourth grader so badly wanted to like engage in. So, you know, thanks for just kind of opening up and sharing, you know, highlight story, but then a low story, right? Because like I said, once again, women of color creatives, we all have those stories, Mm -hmm. right? And it's so important for us to share them because like I said to you, it's us then taking back the things that were said about us, the things that were spoken over us, So thank you for sharing that story. I really, really appreciate it. I love this conversation that we're having. And I know we could keep going and going as our typical Jess and Ange fashion, but we'll press pause for right now. And we'll continue this conversation for our next episode. So for those that are here listening, I just want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. And we will be continuing this conversation where we get to hear more about Jess's story as she shares her journey of doing music professionally. So once again, thank you guys so much for listening. If you like what you're listening to, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a review on whichever podcast platform that you are listening to on this episode. Please also make sure to follow us on our social media accounts. We can be found on Instagram at 
The Take Back Podcast. And also make sure to check out our website at thetakebackpodcast.com and join our mailing list where you'll get updates on new episodes and future guests that we'll be having. If you're a woman of color creative, we would love to have you as a a potential guest of our show. So please make sure to go on our website and drop us details about who you are and what you do. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope that you join us next time. Want to be a creative revolutionary with us? Visit thetakebackpodcast.com to learn more.